We are starting a brand new series this morning called Songs for the Journey. And there is a great, great book. I want to commend this to you. In fact, I would encourage you um, to pick this up. There's a pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson. He wrote this book a long time ago. I think it's been out for over 20 years called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that particular book, literally every chapter just follows the particular Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are Psalms 120 through 134. And in that book, here's what Eugene Peterson says. And this kind of sets us up for this new series and even why we're diving into this and why did we decide, hey, to do this series. There's obviously lots and lots of stuff we could preach through in in the Bible. Um, Why this and why in this moment and trying to discern, God, where are you leading us? And we know the realities of what 2020 has been, and we, we know that there's still things that we probably can't even anticipate, that the unfolding consequences and things that are gonna continue to play out. We thought, wow, what if we could spend some time in a particular section of the scriptures that invites us into the journey of discipleship, invites us to follow Jesus while singing songs where we, we remember who we are, what God has done And so Eugene Peterson talking about this says this early on in the book and he's contrasting pilgrimage versus tourism. And he said the great tendency is for you and for me to live as tourists rather than pilgrims. Rather than seeing us as people on a journey, we opt for tourism because it's easier. So look what he says. He says, religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats and rallies and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. We'll try anything until something else comes along. I find that to be incredibly convicting. There is this tendency, I think, in the human heart and particularly in the moment we live in that I just want the quick fix. Can this be over? All right, even that, that phrase, we like, when can we get back to normal? And the reality is I think the Lord is inviting us to, into something that is a new normal that is not going back to just how things were. The Lord is using this time that we find ourselves in. And so the calling for us as a Christian, like, do we believe that? Are we going to journey with Jesus? Because that's the best possible place to be is walking alongside of him. And the Psalms of Ascent invite us into that. And so if we're going to understand this, understand what it looks like to be on this journey, to understand what it means to be a pilgrim and not simply a tourist, where we just kind of float in and out every so often, but there is this journey that we're invited to. We've got to talk then for a moment about pilgrims and we got to talk about playlists. All right, so the pilgrim idea is this. For the people of Israel to whom it would have been very familiar with Psalms 120 to 134, what it was was several times a year, the people would journey, all right, to the place where the presence of God was. They would journey to Jerusalem. They would journey to the temple. Regardless of how far they happened to be away, they would embark on, at certain key times, the Lord told them to gather for various feasts and festivals. And they would gather with their friends, they gather with their, their family, and they would make the long, treacherous, winding journey 
through the valleys and up the hills and sort of the Psalms of Ascent, that idea is Jerusalem is off there in the distance. It is set, it's elevated up and this climb toward that place because they long to be in the presence of God. They long to be with the people of God, worshiping God, enjoying his presence. You and I have been made for the presence of God. And in particular, these Psalms, the people of Israel, they had certain stories, certain parts of their history when God led them out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land. There was a journey there. And a lot of commentators and scholars, theologians believe that these particular Psalms were put together in this particular order, even after the people had been exiled to places like Babylon. And in those times, they longed to be able to go, but the festivals, those yearly times would come around and they weren't able to. And so there was just this ache. Like imagine you, think about even this year, there's things you probably had planned on the calendar, maybe a trip you were gonna go on, you're gonna go visit some friends or family and all of that got shut down. Now imagine that happen year after year after year and you just so long to go and to be with those people. Well, every year there was this opportunity that they would have to go and enjoy the presence of God and it was just getting shut down, like they were locked in, that they couldn't go. They were unable to go and to do that. And eventually they're able to return. And so these songs, these particular Psalms are a way for the people to remember the pilgrimage of God delivering them from the places of slavery and bondage and captivity and bringing them to the promised land so they could enjoy the presence of God. And the playlist idea is this. These are songs, literally songs, Psalm 120 through 134. These would have been the songs that the people would sing. Now, I'm not gonna sing it for you. I'm gonna read it here in a moment. Um, but you can picture this band of people traveling together, all right? So you think about it for you, like you getting ready to go on a road trip or you're gonna fly somewhere. My guess is, all right, um, you might get your phone out and you're gonna hop on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever service it is that, that you use and start putting together particular playlists, right? You wanna put the songs together that are, you're gonna enjoy that are just perfect for the, the open road. Or maybe you're somebody you're like, hey, I like to exercise, all right? And I, I wanna go and put together a particular playlist that will help you, will kind of keep you energized, will keep you focused on what you're trying to accomplish, all right? My guess is if you're out for a run, you're not putting on like this weepy, sad music unless you're like, well, that's just how I run. Then maybe that's a whole other thing. But, right, like we want something that's gonna sort of help us focus on the task at hand. And these Psalms, they were the playlist of God's people. And so our plan is over the next several weeks, all the way up until we start the Advent season. So we're gonna be looking at these Psalms and seeing them as the songs that they were and the, the reality that the people of God would sing these as they were pilgrims journeying to the presence of God. And it's this invitation for us to step into those spaces, to see ourselves as pilgrims that are invited on this journey so that we too might enjoy God's presence, that we might be people that know what it means to walk with God, to enjoy his presence, to find fulfillment and delight in those places. So this morning, we're gonna start by looking at Psalm 120. And so if you've got a Bible, please go there. You can also go to cpwp.life and go to the card, swipe over until you see message notes. And there the text will be, as well as any of the slides that are put up this morning, you'll find the content listed there. But I wanna go ahead and read Psalm 120. And what you're going to see in this 
It's, it's honestly kind of an odd way to start out. Like it's, if you're expecting like upbeat and cheery and like, woohoo, new series, and we're going back to in person and like all this sort of stuff. And you're thinking about, wow, like what are you gonna play as you like leave the driveway and you're embarking on this road trip? This might not be what you would think as the kind of kickoff song. But what this psalm, what this song invites us to, it's, it's the first part of the journey. It's the first leg of the journey. It's what we have to think through before we would even embark upon this journey that the Lord is inviting us into. And so let me read this. This is God's word, Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Look at that first song kind of bookended with it. We got distress on the one hand and then it ends talking about war. So like, what are we to do with this? Well, God has something for us in this. And by the power of God's spirit, I believe that he's gonna work through this song, so this psalm and this particular song to help us see what we're invited to in this moment. And so if you would, we wanna pray. I invite you to join me in praying this, this prayer of illumination that the, the spirit might open up our hearts and our minds and our understanding. So wherever you are, if you've been running around the, the house this morning and you're trying, would you just pause and breathe and read these words with me? Let's offer this as a prayer. Oh Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth and faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us through Jesus Christ, amen. So in that posture, church, let's look now back at this particular song. Let's look at what the psalmist is dealing with and let's, help, let's allow it to kind of help shape our view, our, our reality, what we're experiencing in this time, in this place. And so as you see in the first two verses, it's very clear, like there's some, some distress, there's difficulty, there's all kinds of challenges. In verse one to two, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And so right away, the psalmist, the one singing this song, and as you can picture a group of people, they're all singing this together. They are lamenting, all right? They are naming reality. They're like, we are in distress. And so that's one of the beautiful things of the Psalms is there can be an honesty. It invites us to be honest. So you think about 2020, you think about all that's happening, all that has happened and is happening and you anticipate it will happen in, in the future. If you feel angst, frustration, lament, discouragement, sadness, anger, I mean, all of that, like that's what it's talking about with distress. It's like this word to sort of encapsulate, like I feel stuck. And literally the word would bring this sort of image to mind as you see there on the screen. It's this idea of just being like, captive bound, like you're in this hole, like you actually can't get out. Maybe the walls are closing in on you. That's where the psalmist is. That's where the people of God, like that's what they're feeling, experiencing. And so they cry out and they say, in my distress. But notice, it's not in my distress, I went on Facebook and vented about it. Or in my distress, I just talked to somebody else about it, as helpful as that might be. It's in my distress, I called to the Lord. And the name there, the Lord, it's this 
the, it's getting at the faithfulness, the covenant-keeping God, the one that promised he would be with his people regardless of circumstances, regardless if they were in Babylon or if they were in the temple. There's this reminder here that God is with his people. And so I wanna just ask you, as we start this new series, as we think about the moment we're in, who are you calling to? Who are you crying out to? Do you take the frustration and all of it, the desperation and lay it at the feet of Jesus? Or are you still trying to solve it in your own strength, with your own ambition, with your own plans? My hope for us in this series, or I'll say my hope for me in this series and just over the past few weeks studying these particular Psalms and reading through books in preparation for this, it's just been this reminder and through other conversations and things that the Lord has been teaching me, it's just coming to this place of desperation. We're like, Lord, I can't do anything. Like, I can't fix this. I can't solve the pandemic. I can't be a, an expert in, you know, just what, what's happening out in the world. It's too much. Like, I'm just completely, just kind of like leveled, just laid bare. Like, I, I got nothing, all right? What I, the only thing I really have is I can cry out to you and I can invite other people to cry out. And so that's what we're invited into in this series. And what the psalmist does is he looks out, all right? We don't know all the particulars, but he says, I called to the Lord. And he remembers, the Lord has answered me. The Lord has been faithful. And that fuels his crying out. So I would encourage you, like, what things can you stop and reflect on? Take some time today in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the challenges, even the things that you're legitimately frustrated with. Will you stop though and see God's faithfulness? See what he's done? And I'm not just talking like, oh, you remember the glory days of like 2019, right? Like actually stop and even think like, what has the Lord been doing in this year, in this season? There are good things that the Lord is doing. The Lord has answered prayers. He continues to do that. And then the psalmist cries out in verse two, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips from a deceitful tongue. And so on the one level, there might be things that the psalmist is dealing with and the people of God, like we always deal with, is there are people that, that might speak ill of you. Maybe somebody has slandered you. Somebody spoken maliciously about you. And it could be that. That certainly could be something. That's, that's painful. That's difficult. That's not easy stuff to deal with. And that could lead to a place of just distress, right? But I think it's also getting at something bigger and deeper and something that's been going on all the way throughout human history. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, as we run into the one that is the serpent, the tempter, he's the one that speaks lies. And so from very early on, you have the enemy of God coming at the people of God and inviting them not to believe God and his goodness and his story, but instead inviting them and inviting us to believe a lie, a lie that says, you can be like God. You can have ultimate control. You, you do you. You just need more freedom. You need more autonomy. You need more ability to just do what you want. Follow your desire. Follow your heart. And what we have seen played out is when we stop believing the story of God and his goodness and instead believe the lies of the enemy, it leads then to just a culture of lies, a culture of deceit. I put it before you this way, like we are drowning in deceit. So not just in words that might've been spoken that were untrue about you, but literally an entire culture that comes at us. And when we find ourselves buying into the lie that it's on me, I've got to shoulder this, I've got to do more, it just starts to lead to despair. 
I think the psalmist is wrestling with this. Why the people are singing this together as they start out. They know that they are not near the presence of God right now. And so they're just naming their reality. One of the best things you and I could do right now is just to be honest with what is happening. And to say, Lord, I've, I believe lies. And what it's led to then is when I buy into that narrative that somehow it's up to me, then I just, I get discouraged because then I, I quickly realize like, that's not working out. Like it didn't work out for Adam and Eve and it hasn't worked out for you and me and anybody else who's ever lived on this planet or will live on this planet. And it leads us to places of doubt and discouragement. We start to wonder like, does God love me? Am I worthy of love? So we believe a lie that says, no, you're actually not worthy of love, of love until you clean this up. You believe the lie, well, maybe I just need more freedom. Maybe I just need more time. Maybe I need more abilities. Maybe the Lord has made a mistake in designing me and putting me together with my temperament and my personality and, and my gifts. Lord, why don't you give me something else? We believe the lie that the Lord has put us in the wrong spot in the wrong situation or with the wrong people forgetting that the Lord has put you here in this time, in this place for his purposes, like he is at work. So we can either drown in deceit or we can choose to believe the words of God that are right and true. Because the reality is this, Jesus even speaks this to a group of people and he says, you are falling into the lies of the enemy. This is what he speaks in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now look at how the enemy is described. He was a murderer from the beginning it does not, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. This song is understanding that reality. And so it's a group of people setting out setting out on this particular journey. They're readying themselves for this journey and they are just willing to actually say, hey, I've bought into certain lies. I've believed the, the lie that somehow I've got to do it or believe the lie that like, oh no, I'm inherently, I'm a pretty good person and I can kind of fix this on my own rather than seeing the truth of the matter is like, I am wicked and depraved, like on my own. I don't deserve the presence of God. I deserve separation from God. I actually deserve hell. That's the reality of my situation. And this nonsense that we keep perpetuating that's like, oh, you're a good person. And if you just do enough good things, like it's gonna tip the scales. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's from Satan, it's from the father of lies. That's all he knows how to speak. And he's trying to get you and me to not embark on this pilgrimage. He's getting us to just act as tourists thinking like, oh yeah, just dabble a little bit in some religion, spend a little bit of time with Jesus, but don't take it too seriously. Don't embark on this. Don't actually long for the presence of God, long for the trinkets and little things that light up in this world. Like, oh, if you get this house or you get this particular car, or get to go on that trip or things can just go back to normal, whatever that means, that somehow that will be enough and it won't actually satisfy. And so the psalmist looks out, and he is, as you can imagine, is a bit beside himself, but he turns his attention and he begins to rest, I think is what's happening in verses three to four. There's this promise really of deliverance. And so look with me at verses three to four, it says this, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue, a warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now, if you're looking at that, like what in the world is that talking about? Like there's arrows and a broom tree. What's a broom tree? Like I, I picture just an actual broom, looked it up on Google. That's not what it is, all right? And so I'm like, what, what in the world is this? Like what's actually happening here? 
Well, I think the way to think about this is the psalmist is looking out over all the lies, lies that people are speaking about him, about the, the community, about the people of God. And just also realizing there's just this whole world of deceit because there's an enemy that is actively at work. Not just back then, but like right here, right now. That's what we feel. And there could again be this temptation and it's actually part of the lie. It's part of the tactic of the enemy to get us to think, well, I gotta fight that in my own strength. Okay, maybe I can be good enough this week. It's not what the psalmist does. It's not what the song is, right? This song is going. It's not the most cheery or upbeat song, but it is naming reality. And it is getting to this point of like, hey, that's not my battle to actually fight. There's this deliverance here that we see and it's an invitation. I put it before you this way. Like, will you and I rest in God's justice, that God is going to take care of things. And so the psalmist looks out and says, okay, what shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you? You deceitful tongue. He's looking out at all the evil that exists, the deceit, the lies, the enemy, and the people that are influenced by the tempter, by the, those that are you know, adversarial towards God and God's people. It says, you know what's going to happen? It says, a warrior sharp arrows with the glowing coals of the broom tree. This is a sign actually of judgment of those that don't repent. The psalmist isn't gonna take care of them. He's actually saying the Lord himself will fire these things, these weapons at the people that don't actually follow God. This is a very violent image. And the idea of the broom tree, it was a particular tree. And when that was cut down and that wood was used for fire, it was believed to last for hours, if not days at a time, these glowing coals and embers there that would, that would last. And so these would be fixed to the arrows and shot at enemy. Like that's sort of the violent imagery that's being used here. And it's just a way for the psalmist to say, it's not my battle to fight. I wanna sing, I wanna meditate, I wanna rest in the fact that the Lord is the one who will ultimately set everything right. I'm to trust him. I don't know why things have happened this year the way that they have. I can't make sense of all of it. I don't believe you can make sense of all of it, but there's an invitation to trust. God is going to set things right. God is going to do his work. And he's just inviting you and me and everyone to move toward him, to see that we're made to be in his presence. I love the way the apostle Paul speaks this in his letter to the Romans. He says this in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. So let the Lord deal with the glowing coals of the broom tree. Our calling in the midst of difficulty and of challenge, and even when there's places where there's difficulty between people. Our, our call is love and care and compassion, trusting that the Lord is going to set things right. And the invitation seems to be, let's be people of love and care and the bur heaping burning coals, like maybe in hopes that that person might actually see and turn and join you on the journey to the presence of God, to be able to enjoy what God has for us. And so all of this in these first four verses, leads to the end. And there's these kind of words that were given in five to seven, make some cultural references, some geographic references, some historical references that we may not know what to do with. But I'll unpack that a little bit, but here's, here's the big idea. 
up until this point, the people are crying out, they're recognizing their situation, they're longing to be home and they know where they are right now is not what they've been created for. And so yes, they had this physical journey, but we have to think about it like we're not home yet, that we're part of a story where God is gonna wipe away every tear, that God is gonna come dwell with us forever. And in the meantime, he's given you his spirit. Like Jesus himself said, it was better that he would leave so that he could send the spirit. And so in those moments where we think like, oh man, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. Apparently for Jesus, he's like, it's better that I actually get out of here because the Holy Spirit is gonna come and take up residence in your life. And so in those moments where you and I doubt, like is God with us? Can we experience the presence of God? This journey seems incredibly difficult. I'd opt for tourism at this point. I don't wanna do this journey, we have to remember. The Lord is with us. We get to enjoy his presence. We get to cry out to him and that he hears us. And so it invites, I would say, a decision. Are we gonna continue on the journey? Are we gonna believe God's word, that God has spoken truth, that the way that we're actually to live is to follow Jesus, whatever may come. So verses five to seven put this decision before us. We'll close with these verses. It says, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. There's these geographic references. And so Meshech would have been um, to the north. I mean, these two geographic references like completely away from one another. So Meshech would have been up in like modern day Turkey. It's Asia Minor. It's up in the Black Sea, all right? And a land that would have been viewed as like, that's just the Gentiles there. Like, we don't know what to do with that place. And then Kedar, we're talking about stuff like the, um, in the Arabian desert to the south, to the southeast of where Jerusalem is. And so it's not that the psalmist is in both of those places at the same time or has done this massive road trip and has just been in all these places, but rather it's a way to say, hey, we've been scattered, we're away, we're not in the place where God has for us, we're in the place of difficulty and of trial. That's what he's trying to get at, all right? It's just like, I don't know what in the world is happening. And so he says, woe to me. And he says, too long, but he's coming to this place. And the others that are joining in in song are saying, we can stay in this place, but too long. We don't want that anymore. We want to be in the presence of God. And so what you're seeing then is this turn. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. We want to be in the presence of God, the shalom of God. And so the psalmist says, and the, the singers join in, I am for peace. And even more like, um, it's, it's translated more literally, all right? It's a little choppy. It's just like, I am peace. It's saying like, this is what I desire. This is at my core. Now, that resonates, doesn't it? I believe that's what, that's what you want. That's what I want is to experience this. But he finds himself, but when I speak, they are for war. And the reason this song comes first is because it's putting us at the place of decision. Will we embark on the journey or are we just gonna give in to despair? Are we gonna give in to just like, well, this is at least normal. I kind of know what to expect and just stay stuck and stagnant. There's a question before the people as there's a question before you, there's a question before me. Have we gotten to the point where we're fed up? Like one of my fears even in announcing, all right, it's exciting to announce, hey, we're going back in person. 
that it could contribute. Now, hear me, I'm legitimately excited, but hear me in this. There can be this mindset that like, oh, we'll just get back to normal. Can this just think, can we just forget? This is a little blip on the radar. Rather, I believe the Lord is doing a new thing. The Lord is wanting to bring renewal. The Lord is stripping away so many things. So we are in a place of desperation where we would cry out to him and we would say, Lord, like I am fed up. I'm fed up with where things are, where things have been. I want to enjoy you. I want to live into what you would have for me. So a question for us to consider here is, are you fed up? Are you fed up with the world? Are you fed up with the church? Are you fed up with yourself? Now, we could take that in a very self-righteous, judgmental way. That's not what I'm getting at. Let me read to you two quotes. One again from Eugene Peterson and a long obedience in the same direction. He says, we can't make the decision. What he's driving at is the calling for the follower of God, the follower of Christ, for the Christian it's always the story of repentance. Repentance simply means it's decision to move in a new direction. Will we move? Will we journey? And he says this, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or substitute a vaccine, whatever, right? Or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility. We are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. I wanna be fed with grace. That's what we're created for but everything within me revolts against that. I wanna do it. And I wanna believe that, oh, this will get fixed or this will get resolved. What if we as a church got to a place in a non-judgmental way, because we're not just critiquing everything out there, but we're like, we are fed up. We are sick and tired of living according to this old Genesis 3 narrative. Lord, you have more for us. We are desperate for the presence of God. There's this frustration. We're fed up with the things of the world, but we're also fed up with the state of the church. Like we own that. We're fed up not only with the state of the church, but with ourselves and how we contribute to that apathy and to that, that lack of engagement that we don't care really about God and his glory and his kingdom breaking in to his will to be done on earth as in heaven. But I just want my little kingdom. Can I just get comfortable? I want 2020 to get better so that I can just get back to my life. But what if we became fed up with that sort of mindset. Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, says this, we become discontent. What if we had a holy discontent, church? We become discontent with the state of the church, but not in a critical nitpicking sense. Instead, we experience a genuine hunger for the church to be released into its full potential and power in our broken world. These discontents then ferment into a deep dissatisfaction with the state of our own lives and the level of our own faith. No longer pointing fingers of accusation outward, we realize our own inadequacy, grasping that change must begin with us. Instead of falling into self-condemnation or paralysis, we cry out to God to change us, to start his renewal in our hearts. Church, do we have a redemptive sense of just being fed up? Do we have a holy discontent? For too long, I believe I've been comfortable and 2020 is a strange, bizarre, 
hard gift in many ways, inviting us again on the journey of faith to trust God, to enjoy his presence, to know that God, we could literally have everything in this world, but if we don't have you, then none of it matters. And so the question that we'll end with is this church, which way, which way will you choose? Will you choose the way of believing it's up to you, the pressure's on you, believing that you can do it, or you believe that Jesus is inviting you to trust him? And the only way that you and I can actually choose that way is when we understand the way that Jesus chose. When the God-man himself emptied himself and entered into our world. It's what the writer of Hebrews begins talking about. He says, look, here's what you're invited into, but you can only join in that journey. You can only walk this path because Jesus has walked it perfectly for you. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's get fed up with those things, but it says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key, looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer continues, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Church, the great temptation will be to grow weary, to grow faint-hearted, and what our calling is to consider him who endured such hostility. The hostility you have faced and I have faced is nothing compared to what Jesus faced, that Jesus willingly emptied himself, that Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life and yet went to a cross and died in your place and in my place. Like he became sin for us. I mean, these words of the psalmist, I am for peace. I can't legitimately say that. I am actually for war. Jesus, the one who is for peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker and he made peace by the shedding of his blood. So let's look to him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We can only move down this path. We can only sing these songs. We can only journey, go on this journey that the Lord is inviting us into because of the journey that Jesus took to the cross that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. And one day he's coming back. And so right now we are invited then to sing. We're invited to sing these psalms together. We're invited to sing, and we're gonna do that even here in a moment, to sing in this moment, but throughout our life, to sing and to remember the story that we're part of, that we too might have a response like the disciples in John 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so as we wrap this up, but really as we just begin this journey through this series, May you and I be gripped with that reality. We've got nowhere else to go. Lord, we are desperate for you. We're desperate for a move of God. We are asking that you bring renewal in our time, in our place, that your fame may spread throughout this place, that you might get your glory, that we would experience a joy that we've never had before as we see you work and as we walk alongside you. So church, let me pray for us. Let's ask the Lord, let's plead with the Lord 
to do his work. Let's thank the Lord that he invites us on this journey. Thank the Lord that we have his presence, that we have the Holy Spirit right now. Let's thank the Lord that we actually get to inhabit this time right now in the middle of a pandemic with all the uncertainty. Like we get to be the church. This is an amazing gift that the Lord invites us into. So let me pray for us and we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your kindness and your grace that even that part of that is that you've put us here as your church right here, right now. And God, we certainly, we need your help. We need your empowering work. We cannot do this on our own, but God, we are thankful that you invite us to this journey to experience more and more of your presence. God, I pray that you would change us, that you would shape us by your gospel, that we would look continually to you, Christ, for what you've accomplished. You're the author, you're the perfecter of our faith. We thank you that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. We thank you for that work. We thank you that that's what brings life in a culture where we're just drowning in deceit. It's ultimately a culture of death, a culture of deception. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. May those words resonate with us in new and profound ways. And may we be your ambassadors to go out and to share that good news wherever we happen to be. And so, Father, I pray that you would raise up your church in this time, that we would journey together, that we would sing these songs, that we would be honest about the difficulty and the challenge. In the same time, we would be honest about declaring, Lord, you've been faithful. You've never left us. You've never abandoned us. That We have to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ to know that you are with us, that you love us, that you care for us. And so God, as we turn our attention now to, to worship you through song, God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified, that your name would be made much of. God, I pray that there would be a freedom for us to sing, even though it looks different right now, God, wherever we are in our living room, may we engage in this. Let's not just listen to the music, but let's, let's declare praises to you. It's a Holy Spirit moving us, stir our affections for you. And God, pray that you would get your glory and help us to experience the joy in the gospel right here, right now. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.